Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Back and uh, preaching, and yes, we did have a great time away, but always great to be back. Now, the guys are obviously busy setting up some stuff here uh, because last time I was up here and speaking, I think it was last time, I gave uh, Timothy a, a steak to eat right at the very end, and uh, I kind of wanted him to eat it really fast so I could make my point. Uh, but I thought, seeing that we're in this new series, Save the Date, that we would actually set up a, a little uh, date, and uh, we'd just give the people, the, the entire service, just to sit down and uh, relax, and uh, they're just going to have a little date. So, Tash and Brock... You just want to come up and uh, we have a seat here for you. We have some, some bubbly wine. The Liberté ladies are going to bring out. We've got... Uh... Oh, thank you. Got some flowers and uh, got a glass of non-alcoholic grape juice. So you can open that. Thanks, Brock. That's going to be great. So we just, uh, we've got the napkins here. If we just give that a little... A little flick there and place that over your lap there. Rose petals. Fantastic. You can sit there. You can sit wherever you like. That's fine. So they're going to bring out. We've got a, a candle there. Beautiful. <laughs> Fantastic. It says love, Brock and Tash. And uh, they're going to bring you out some of the Liberté food in just a moment. So you can just sit back and relax and have a little date while everyone just uh, watches and take, takes notes. So you can either take notes from what I'm saying, or you can take notes on what Brock is doing. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll just... <laughs> now, in my job, I am very privileged. I get to do a lot of uh, weddings. And uh, so I am often one of the first people that get asked to save the date. So for those that don't know, maybe you haven't received one before, but oftentimes when people are planning weddings and setting weddings, once they have their date set, they want to send out these save the date um, notices to make sure that everyone can be there, that they're going to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, of course, being a celebrant, they need to make sure that, that I'm there. So we sort of, uh, yeah, as I said, I'm one of the first ones that often uh, gets to, uh, to save the date in my calendar so that the wedding can actually happen. And uh, as these guys are sitting here on the stage at a table, it kind of looks a little bit like what happens at a wedding. They, there's... There's a, uh, a signatory uh, process that has to take place at a wedding. There's all these different things that you, have to, that you have to sign. And actually here I have the, uh, the wedding register. This is the book that all the weddings from the church are actually 
in. And so there's lots of different uh, weddings and different things here. Here we have Lyle and Bronwyn's wedding and we have uh, like Anthony and Sharia in the book and uh, Phil and Leo. The, 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 it's full of lots and lots of, of, uh, of weddings, hundreds of weddings that have taken place over the years. Uh, the last one in this book being Jeremy and, and Tegan's wedding. That's the last one. That's the last one there. And the reason that it's the last one there, it's not actually the last wedding that I've done because there's only a few pages left in the book. And so at Tegan and Jeremy's wedding, when people, I kind of left the book there after you know, the, the, um, the signing of the register happened and uh, some of the ladies from the, the church, some of the single ladies were going through and they're just like, do we get to be in the book? And I said, well, you, maybe you need to get a guy first. That's probably the first thing that needs to happen. But I said, probably not, because like I do you know, dozens of weddings in a year. And so they kind of got really a bit sad about that. And uh, I tried to ring up to order a new book, but they're actually not making these books anymore. So now... Uh, what they do is they want us to uh, just fill out, we have these new paperwork and so we have to fill out these other pages and just leave them in the book. And so I've actually been asked to not just save the date for people that are getting married, but I've also been asked to save the page, save these last pages for those girls that want to be in the book. And so... If you will notice, this is Tegan and Jeremy's, all the details are filled out. But on this page, I've actually put Brock and Tasha's name. There's no date, there's no details yet, but it's, it's there, it's saved for you guys. Because <laughs> Tasha was one of the people that wanted to be in the book. So, no pressure, no pressure, but. but just like those pages are very important. So this better work out. This date is very important. Okay, so we just this is all a, a, a trial run. But we're talking today about marriages and what it means to have a healthy marriage. How we have a healthy marriage. But even if you're not married, if you're divorced, if you've been widowed, if you've been hurt, if you're not looking to get into a relationship with another person right now, I pray that this message is still beneficial because in actual fact, all of us are called to be in relationship, in relationship with each other, in relationship with God. And so we can all get better at that. We can all make sure that we have healthy, vibrant relationships of all kinds as we make sure that we save the date, that we're intentional and deliberate about the relationships that we, that we have. And when it comes to God and our relationship with God, some people can think that God is harsh and judgmental. Some people can think that God is uh, yeah, like a, a judge. But we actually see that there was two major 
things that, that God did. That there was creation, and then there was the cross. We have creation and, and the cross. These two see things that are, that are pivotal, and both of them actually speak to relationship, about the fact that, that God is invested in relationship, that he didn't have to create us, that the reason that he did create us was to be in relationship with us. And then the reason for the cross was so that the relationship that we broke right back in the beginning could actually be restored. That there was a time where we said that we didn't want to be in relationship with God, that we wanted to do things our own way, and so we left uh, that perfect relationship with God, but God sent His Son, Jesus, to go to the cross so that that relationship could be re-established. So regardless of whether you're looking to get married or not, this idea of relationships is key to God, and so it should be key to, to all of us in the room. No matter what our relationship status, no matter what Facebook says, no matter if your name is in this book or not, what matters is that his book actually displays his love for us. So, our first point that we're going to look at in our Save the Date message is actually Save the Page. So as I said, I've been asked to, to save the page and just as I have reserved that page for Brock and Tash, so too there is a page that represents your life that you need to save that maybe your name is on it but someone else's name, something else gets to be written on that page. That you actually get to decide who and what gets written on that page. And sometimes when it comes to things like marriages, we can kind of see in our society that marriages aren't always successful. We've seen the mistakes that our parents have made. We know the mistakes that we've made ourselves. And so we can actually be hesitant about writing something down in ink on a page. And so if you, if you were like me in primary school because I was terrible at spelling and I was a had very messy handwriting, uh, I would always write in pencil. I didn't get my, my pen license and, uh, because I was, just, I was so messy, but I kind of liked writing in pencil because I thought, well, I can rub out the mistakes that I make and in the end, I can make it look like I got everything right and everything was perfect right from the beginning. But even with that, even with writing in pencil, I don't know if you've discovered this, but even with pencil, that when we try to rub things out, there's often a smudge that's left. Or even if there's no smudge that's left, there's actually still an indent of what was, was written there. And so it is with our relationships that when we enter into relationships with people that sometimes when we try to, to rub those out, when we try to deny that those relationships happen, when we made mistakes in relationships in the past, we can actually end up 
with just our page being all smudged with an indent that cannot be removed. And if that's you this morning, can I say, maybe it's time to start a new page. That God is not limited by the number of pages in his book, that there is an opportunity for you. Maybe you've stuffed up and made mistakes and maybe you know, there's this idea of you know, no sex before marriage and maybe you've gone too far and things happened and whatever. But can I say that God wants marriages to be healthy. God wants relationships to be healthy. And so even if there's been a smudge, even if there's been an indent that has taken place, that this morning God is offering you a new page and a fresh page. That he has saved a page just for you. And he is saving someone to be written on that page next to you. So there is a story in the Bible about three brothers and their father that shows us different ways that we can deal with the mistakes that happen. Because mistakes shouldn't actually be a reason not to enter into relationships. That, in actual fact, one of the reasons that we would get into a relationship is so that the other person that is there can actually help us to deal with the mistakes that we make. So there are two different ways that we can deal with mistakes when they happen. And we see this in the relationship between this guy Noah and his sons. So we're going to read Genesis 9, starting at verse 20. It says, Noah had become a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and he went and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces turned backwards so they did not see their father's nakedness. So when it comes to the mistakes that we make, there's two ways that we can deal with them. Either we can point them out, like the first son did, pointed them out and exposed them, exposed the nakedness, exposed the shame of of their father, or we can cover them over. We can look away from the mistakes. We can overlook the mistakes. This actually gives us confidence to write things down in pen, to make a commitment, to make a commitment in marriage, in life, in love, because we know that we're not actually called to be perfect, to never make a mistake. Because God... And those around and about us, those closest to us, our spouse, should be there to actually help us cover over those mistakes. The other thing that can happen when we look at saving the page 
is even if we've decided, okay, we know that things need to be written down in pen, that there needs to be a decision, but sometimes people can think, well, if that's the case, I just, I won't write anything down on the page. I'll just, I'll leave my page blank. Plus, why do I need a piece of paper to tell me who to love and how to love? But if we, if we think that that is what marriage is about, we've misunderstood the reason or, or the meaning behind marriage in the first place. You see, marriage is not just about getting a piece of paper. This is my piece of paper, Belinda's piece of paper, that actually shows that we are married. So it's a legal document. And if we think that marriage is just about getting this piece of paper, that this is what we're spending our life to just get this and hold this and maintain this, then we've kind of missed the point. And I think that we kind of already know this. Also here I have Belinda's birth certificate. Now, if I was to maybe hide this piece of paper or give this piece of paper to someone else, does that mean that now I'm no longer married? Does that mean I can go and do anything because the piece of paper is gone, so is the marriage gone? I mean, if I take this birth certificate and I rip it, she's not crying out in pain. If I scrunch it up, it's not, it's not the, the, the piece of paper. I mean, if I... take this piece of paper and I burn it, Belinda doesn't cease to exist, does she? We kind of we know that. But the thing is, is that when it comes to marriage, we can kind of get the wrong picture because we can think it's all about the bit of paper. But just as a birth certificate doesn't actually bring about life or show us how to raise a child, a marriage certificate doesn't make us marry about getting a piece of paper. And yes, when people say that a piece of paper cannot, you, know, you don't need a piece of paper to tell you who to love. But the piece of paper is there as evidence that there is life. That Belinda does exist. Her existence came first. That there was life that came. And then because life, the natural progression of things is that because life came forth, because life began, and because life started to grow, a piece of paper was given as documented 
evidence of that. And so it is with weddings and, and marriages that there should be life, that there should be this intimate, growing relationship. And that just as in a relationship between a mother and a father and their child, that that child should continue to grow. That if that child looks the same as it did when it was first born, two years later, five years later, ten years later, you would think that something is wrong with the child. And so too it is with relationships. Sometimes we think that once we've got that piece of paper, our job is done. But that's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of the life. And so our relationship should grow and develop and mature. It should deepen. And oftentimes we get so concerned with the fact that, you know, we're going deeper into debt together as we buy better houses or we're going deeper into commitment as we have kids together and as the kids get involved in, in different things. But if we're only deepening in debt and we're only deepening in commitment without allowing our relationship to get deeper, then something is going to break. It should constantly be growing and developing. So what are you allowing to be written on your page? What are you saving the page for? Are you just saving it for debt? For pain, for commitment, obligation? Or will you allow God to write the things on there that he wants to write? Are we saving the page for what he wants, the way that he wants to develop our relationships. Second point is save the environment. Now, obviously, as Christians, we have been delegated uh, this idea of, uh, you know, we've been given care and responsibility for the environment. But that's not what necessarily we're, we're talking about today. But with all this talk about saving the environment and global warming, wouldn't it be great if instead of just sitting there and watching a thermometer and watching that thermometer rise, what if instead we could have a thermostat? Wouldn't that be amazing that rather than just reflecting the temperature around us, what if globally we could set the temperature? Wouldn't that be amazing? And yet, in relationships, this is exactly the choice that we get given. We get given the choice to save the environment by actually setting the temperature, setting the thermostat of our relationship. We get to decide what is allowed in and what needs to go. Now, as we said, we have been in uh, WA and Perth and uh, one of the places that we got to go was this place called Shalom House. And Shalom House 
was a 160-bed uh, live-in discipleship program for people struggling with uh, drugs and alcohol. So you can imagine that their environment that they were in was something that they need saving from. But then you might think, but putting 160 people that all struggle with those kind of addictions together, surely that is almost creating a worse environment. And that could have been the case. However, the people there decided that they would be thermostats and not just thermometers. That they would actually set the spiritual tone and the spiritual atmosphere of what is, was going on in that place. So what they would do is when the people come in, they would take away their phone, they would take away their access to the internet, they would take away their access to TV shows and computer games and all of that stuff. And all that they had access to was Christian DVDs, and Christian worship music. And they said that no matter what environment the people have come from, no matter how bad things were, that it's inevitable that if you put bad things in, then bad is going to come out. But if you put good things in, then good has to come out. And so to, to be there and see these 160 guys all in praise and worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was something amazing to see, to join with them in worship. But the way that they were able to do that and transform those lives was by being thermostats and not thermometers, by setting the relational temperature of, their, of those relationships. And that is what we are called to do. So what are you doing? How are you developing your relationships? How are you setting that spiritual temperature? And maybe you might think that that's a bit extreme to just do away with, with everything. And so you kind of... We want a bit more. How else can we set the temperature? How else can we save the environment of our relationships. So we're going to go right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2 where it talks about this first relationship between a man and a woman and how God established that to see what we can learn from that about how to set this spiritual temperature to save the environment. So Genesis 2.18 says, It is not good... For the man to be alone, so I will create a companion for him, a perfectly suited partner. That sounds great, doesn't it? Like that, you know, he's gonna he sees that you know relationships are good, relationships are important, and you know, so he creates people, but I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Genesis 2, if we can have that scripture back up, Genesis 2 
is actually before Genesis 3. I don't know if you're taking notes, yeah. So this is before the fall. It's before the fall, like that there... So it's creation has happened, but it's before the fall. So how can there be something that is not good? I thought God created... Let's, let's go back to Genesis 1, to, just to make sure that we're, that we're getting this right. So in the beginning, God created. God saw that there was light, it was good. He, he created, it was good. 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 He saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. So if everything that God has made is good, then how can there be anything not good? doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, if we have this bag here and we put only good things into the bag, just like God did at creation. He put good things into the world. Then how can it be that Adam sticks in his hand and pulls out something not good? Doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? How can something be not good? Maybe you've heard it described this way before, but that in actual fact, there's no such thing as cold. There's only the absence of heat. You can't touch cold. You can't feel cold. There's no such thing as dark. There's only the absence of light. Dark isn't a thing. But when we have light and we remove light, all of a sudden we call it dark, but dark is not a thing. Just the same as this idea that maybe bad is not a thing, but maybe there is the absence of good. That in actual fact, what Adam was doing was he reached in his hand to grab something of worth and all that came out was nothing. It wasn't that he could grab something that was not good, it was that being alone and having nothing in his hand was not good. And then we also read in Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, God is light and our protector. He gives us grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk along his paths. No good thing will he withhold. Let's think about that and what that means for relationships and actually the value that this places on womanhood. You see, after he created man, after he created the sun, the moon, the stars, everything in existence, and he got to this point, and the last thing that he made was man, but still within the mind of God, 
There was something that was in the mind of God that was good. There was something in the creative genius of God that was great. There was something in God that was beautiful that he hadn't yet made. And so compelled by his nature... Because his nature is, he will withhold nothing good from us. So compelled by his nature and compelled by the goodness of this uncreated being called woman, he creates woman. He says that it is not good, that I cannot withhold woman from being created. So he creates Eve. I don't know if the women in the room have grasped that because sometimes women get looked down upon. Even in church, they get told that you know, they just need to be submissive, that it's almost this idea that they're somehow second-class citizens. But when we see right in the beginning the reason for their creation in the first place was because God actually beheld their goodness and he could withhold nothing good. So relationships are vitally important to God and need to be vitally important to us. Now, for those that have heard me preach before and know... Uh, who I am, you know that I'm not necessarily one for just saying all the negative things, all the things that are wrong and evil and all of that stuff. But I more want to paint a picture of what is good. Because I think, just like if we just say what is not good, we're just going to live our lives empty-handed because we have nothing to grab hold of, we have nothing to hold on to. And I think when it comes to this idea of relationships, and particularly sex and sexuality, that the church is actually known only for basically the no's. Just no. When it comes to things of sex. Sex before marriage? No. Pornography? No. Masturbation? No. Abuse? No. We're known for saying no, but God and the Bible are actually very much pro-sex. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4 to 5, it says, A wife belongs to her husband instead of to himself. And a husband belongs to his wife instead of to himself. So don't withhold sex to each other. Withhold no good thing. This include, includes sex because sex is seen by God as a good thing. The holy, righteous, loving God speaks about sex and says that sex is good. 
So what if instead of the church being known as the anti-gay, you know, anti, you know, anti-porn, anti-this, anti-that, what if instead we were known as the people that have the best marriages with the best sex lives? Because actually, if we're following the Word of God, that is exactly what we will end up with. So if someone asks you today what you learnt in church, you can just tell them that you learnt to save the environment, we need to have more sex. I know that some people like rules, and of course there should be some rules when it comes to sex. But are you ready? This, this is my rule, if we can have that up. If they pull you closer to Jesus, pull them closer to you. That's going to raise the temperature a little bit, isn't it? If they pull you closer to Jesus, pull them closer to you. All right, I better move off of this before I get in too much trouble. Just checking, Belinda, you got that down, did you? 1 Corinthians 7, withhold no sex, we'll go on. Okay. <laughs> Third and final point. Save the seat. Have you been asked to save a seat for someone? Maybe at the cinema, maybe at church, different places. You can have been asked to save a seat and what the person is wanting is they're wanting you to save the seat next to them, aren't they? They're not wanting you to save a seat like at the back, somewhere away from them. They're wanting you to save a seat right where they are. I notice that you finished yours. Like, did you enjoy your meal? Has he been having good conversation? Yeah. Yeah? Trying. They've been taking notes about these guys. So there's, there's a seat that should be saved that is closest to you. There's only two seats that can be next to you. And they should be reserved for the people that are closest to you. Not just physically closest to you, although that is true, but it should be people that you are relationally close to. But I don't know if you've ever tried to save seats, but sometimes, again, if you're not watching, if you're not intentional, even if you're trying to save a seat, someone can come and kind of sit down and sort of move in on things a little bit. That if we're not intentional that someone else can occupy the spot that we should occupy. But I'm not just talking about, you know, physically, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the idea of, um, you know, having an affair or different things like that, that it's not just about people coming and occupying that seat, that there's actually something that will come and occupy that seat. Now, 
aside from prayer, which they say decreases divorce rates, one study said, by 10,000 times. So you're 10,000, if you pray with your spouse every day, you are 10,000 times less likely to divorce. But aside from that astronomical statistic, one of the other key things to know whether a relationship is going to work or stand the test of time is what happens when this seat is vacated? What happens when your partner is not physically with you? Are you thinking about them when the seat is empty? Are you saving a seat for them? Does your decision-making change? Do you feel a little bit of relief when they're not there? Or are you actually saving a seat for them? Now, if we're saving a seat, it means that we want that person to be close. And the people that we should be allowing to come close should be the people required. So the question should shift from have I done enough to what more can I do? Because if you're like me and you want maximum impact for minimum effort, and it works in almost every area of life apart from relationships. We shouldn't be looking for maximum impact to minimum effort. Brock shouldn't say right now, I love this date that we're on because it was no effort to me whatsoever. Someone else cooked, someone else did all of that. And yet that is still sometimes what we do, how we treat that person that should be occupying that seat closest to us. And I still haven't learned this lesson fully. I've been married for almost 20 years, and even on this most recent trip, uh, I was kind of made aware again that I still look for maximum effort, uh, sorry, minimum effort with maximum return when it comes to relationships. So, some of you might know that I'm a little bit of a cheapskate. I mean, I'm a little bit of a, you know, good steward of God's finances. <laughs> I don't really like spending money. But we were going, um, yeah, to meet all of these important, famous people over in Western Australia. And so Belinda said, Joshy, I, I would really like some new shoes. I just some new open toe shoes, just to, it's, just, it's going to be great. <laughs> so I thought, all right, I'll take her to Harbour Town to get the, the cheapest last season <laughs> shoes that $20 can buy. So we go there, let her buy the shoes. We go over, we're in Port Hedland, come down, first morning that we're there, we, have, uh, we leave our hotel room, we come down, we have breakfast, and Belinda is wearing her new shoes to just kind of break them in. But again, uh, 
I'm all about efficiency. And so she wants to go back to the hotel room after breakfast and change her shoes because they're new shoes. But the hotel room is that way, but I want to go for a walk. So that's that way. So I was just like, no, nah, let's, just, let's just go for a walk. I, just like, I always love to see the town and get a feel for it. And so after walking in the hot uh, sun in Port Hedland, little walk, 10 kilometers, uh, we come back and uh, Belinda's got sunburnt shoulders and blisters on her feet where the new shoes were breaking in on the top of her feet. Now, she was kind of a little bit mad at me. And I thought, well, I'm not sure if she's mad specifically at me. I know it's also that time of the month for her. Uh, maybe that's kind of the issue. Maybe she's mad at the world in general. But, okay, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to do the right thing. So the next, the next morning... Uh, I wake up nice and early, look at where the closest Woolworths is. Uh, again, get up in the, in the hot Port Hedland sun, walk to, to Woolworths because I'm too cheap to pay for a taxi. So I walk there um, and I buy her uh, some Band-Aids for her feet and I buy her a pack of sanitary pads for the condition. <laughs> I come back, give her... The, uh, the presents that I've bought her. And again, she is mad at me. <laughs> so the moral of the story is, guys, if you want a happy marriage, don't let your wife buy new shoes. <laughs> it's not kind of entirely the whole story or the true story, because... You see, if she was there, I knew exactly what band-aids she would buy and what pads she would buy. But neither of those were on special. <laughs> so what was on special was they had these band-aids that was like brightly coloured and, uh, you know, they had all these faces and cartoons on them and... And people that are with me still, I don't know if anyone is still with me, but it was raising money for kids' cancer. So I thought that's the right choice to make. That's the better choice than what she would have made. It was on special, kids' cancer, all of that. So she wasn't happy with that because she you know, wanted the, the skin-coloured ones because we're meeting all these important people and she's there with these bright blue and yellow things with faces all over them. And then also, I knew... The brand of pad that she liked, I knew that it's supposed to be cotton with wings. I knew the brand, but I thought the ones that were on sale were not the, were not the slimline ones, but the maxi ones. How could you not, like for less cost, to have so much more? Maxi pad impact for minimum So I'm learning. Relationships is not necessarily about the minimum you can get, 
but about the maximum you can give. Now, to her credit, she didn't stay mad at me for long because we also have a principle, believe the best, that she saw my heart, that I did get up and go and walk and do those things. But you see, there's a spectrum. If we can have that next picture up, thanks. There's a spectrum when it comes to our attitude and it comes to our action. That there's injustice, there's indifference, there's justice, there's mercy, there's, there's grace right at that end. And there's narcissism, there's selfishness, there's cohabitation, functional family, and there's love. There's this spectrum. And if we're saving the seat or allowing anything other than love and grace to occupy that seat, then what is actually going to move in is fear. Tamsin, can I have you just come up here for a, a moment? And uh, Mercedes, can I have you come up as well? You're going to be fear. You, Brock, you're going to have to just stand up for a second. And Mercedes, if you, you want to grab a seat there. And Mercedes, if you want to grab a seat there. You see, if we accept anything less than grace and love, if we accept just justice, if we accept cohabitation, that we're just in this relationship thing just to kind of pay the bills and get by and, and do all that, if we, if we settle for less, then what actually starts to creep in is fear. We fear being left alone. We fear abandonment. We fear not being enough, not having enough. That fear actually takes in and occupies the seat where it was never supposed to be occupied. That fear becomes the closest thing to us in life whenever we settle. So we need to skip the settle and save the seat. Now, there's a passage of Scripture, if we can have that up, thanks, Peter, that shows us how to fix this. Because we can be tempted to think, well, I just need to have a relationship with a, with a person that's, that, that is then going to fix everything and fix all the fear. But 1 John 4.8 gives us the solution. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So either we sit next to fear or we sit next to love. Now again, with this passage of Scripture, I know that this was written in Greek, but we live in Australia, don't we? We live in Australia. So when it talks about driving, when in Australia we talk about driving, if you're a drover, you're, you're, you're driving sheep, you're doing different things. So in my mind, the picture that I get, if you want to, this is, this is your stock whip, right? Can I have this? So yeah, 
our job <laughs> is to drive out fear. So fear, go, 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 go fear. Perfect love, grab your seat. Perfect love drives out fear. Now, Brock's job is he can be loving to Tash. And his job is to help drive out her fears. To be ready for a relationship, you need to be someone who is willing to drive out the fears in the person that you want to sit next to, to then occupy that seat, to save that seat, not for fear, but for love. But we also need to come to know and recognise and understand. What Brock needs to also understand is that although he gets to drive out some fears, that Jesus is not just loving, he's perfect love. And he actually drives out all fears. That in actual fact, just for this instance, I'm Jesus. I'm not moving in on your woman. <laughs> but in actual fact, Jesus needs to be the closest person to us. That if we've been in a relationship with fear, that if fear has been what's been closest to us, then we need to know this morning that Jesus being perfect love drives out all fear. That whether we're in a relationship with a person, that those relationships are never going to fully and completely heal us. But Jesus, in perfect love, does drive out all fear to take that place closest to us if we would but save a seat for him because he is saving a seat for us. Would you join me as we pray? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your perfect love. Your perfect love that drives out all fear. Thank you that you've saved a seat for us. We thank you that eternity is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, that you're all about celebrating, that you're all about relationships. Lord, I pray that we too will save the environment, that we'll set the temperature with words of love, words of affirmation. That just as though you withhold no good thing from us, that we would withhold no good thing from you, that we would withhold no good thing from our spouse. That if we see something good about them, we're going to say it. That if they need encouragement, we're going to give it. That we're going to be setting the spiritual temperature and the spiritual atmosphere in line with your word. And your word over us is love and forgiveness. And Father, we thank you that you have 
saved the page for us. That in our relationships, you tell us to save that page. There is a page, there is a a book of life. And Lord, your whole reason for sending your son Jesus was so that our name could be written in that book, that there was a page that was saved just for us. Is anyone here that has not yet had their name written on that page? I pray that right now, there is nothing that they need to do other than receive you, other than let you into that place, that place closest to them. Father, come and write our names on that page in your Lamb's Book of Life that we may celebrate with you eternally that marriage supper of the Lamb with you as you call us to have healthy relationships with each other and healthy relationships with you. We thank you that you pursued us, that you loved us, that you came after us, that you never turned your back on us. Instead, you turned your back on sin, allowed sin to mark and scar and whip your back. That you could then see us and greet us face to face in a close, intimate and loving embrace. Father, we pray, come. Come by your Holy Spirit now. lead us to that place of love and intimacy with you, where we only allow love and grace to sit next to us. Let's stand, church. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember... The door is always open for you at LifeHouse. God's house, our home.